Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. One of my most special memories of my kids growing up was our morning prayer time together. I would do my morning quiet time in my study, and the kids knew that I was in there reading the Bible and praying, and they were welcome to come in at any time they wanted to. In fact, uh, I used to pray sitting on this blanket. Uh, It was knitted by a friend of mine in my first church, Louis Francis Carter. If ever a person named Louis Francis Carter knits you a blanket, you use that blanket. So it was my prayer blanket. I would lay it on the floor, often I would kneel, and my children knew they could come in at any time. It was not a do not disturb time. I wanted them to disturb me. I wanted them to see me praying and I wanted to invite them to pray with me. It wasn't required, but it was always there for them. So they would come in and kneel down for a few minutes and get up and go about their business of getting ready in the morning. But when my youngest son came along, I had graduated from the floor to a recliner, lay back in my recliner covered by that same blanket and Seth would come in In our practice that we never really discussed all that much was he would lay out full length across me and he would lay there for a few minutes, I would hold him and we would sync up our breathing. And then he would get up and go about his business. For me, that became the quintessential picture of prayer, that prayer is not a duty to perform, it is a presence to be enjoyed, that we get to come into contact with the Father to be fully aware of his presence and not only to sink our breathing but to sink our heart with his that is the beauty of prayer so we're starting this teaching series on prayer and i'm aware that there are teaching series that draw crowds like anxiety and anger when you talk about those things they draw crowds but this teaching series hopefully prayerfully will draw us closer to the lord and that's what we really need So I want to begin with a couple of preliminaries before we dive into the text this morning. Let me reveal two myths about prayer and one truth. Okay, so here's the first myth. Myth number one, prayer takes a long time. If I'm going to go down this journey of prayer, I need to set aside two hours a day. Prayer takes a long time. It does not. Uh, One of my favorite presidents is Calvin Coolidge. He was called Silent Cow because he very rarely spoke. And at a White House function one night, a lady sitting next to him said, I bet one of my friends that I could get you to say more than three words over dinner. He turned to her and said, you lose. Two words. Listen, prayer doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of words. I think God would rather us say two words with heart than he would us spend two hours going by rote. It's not about the quantity necessarily. It's about the quality. One of my favorite quotes about prayer is this, for a long time, pray short prayers. So myth number one, it takes a lot of time. No, it doesn't. Myth number two, prayer takes a long time to master. No, it doesn't. Now, in my prayer relationship with God, it is is deepened over time and through experience. But prayer itself is really pretty simple to master Because my definition of prayer for our teaching series is simply this. It's need turned Godward. If you can get to a place where all of your needs become the trigger for prayer, then you've mastered prayer, right? Need turned Godward. 
So prayer doesn't take a long time. It doesn't take a long time to master, but it's something that it takes us a lifetime, I think, to fully appreciate and to understand because here's the one truth I want you to hold on to. If the definition of prayer is need turned Godward, our true need is for God himself. We might think our needs are these things that we are requesting down here, what we're asking for other people, but our true need is for God himself. And once we get to that place, then we've mastered prayer and prayer has mastered us. One more thing I want to do before we get to the scripture, and I've had the privilege over several years of praying with people who are deaf. And when I pray with somebody who is deaf, typically they will watch my lips or somebody else will be translating. Uh, But then when it gets to the amen part, we say amen together. And the sign language, a couple years ago I taught you this bit of sign language, not my problem. I love that sign language. That just feels good. The sign language for amen is this. It's taking one hand flat, making a thumbs up with the other hand, and it's like stamping. It's like saying it is is done, right? I like the imagery of this amen because it's almost as though we bring our need to God. God gives us an answer. Now, from his point of view, it's always yes, whether it's what we're asking for or not, and our need and God's answer comes together amen. It will be. And that's what this teaching series is called, simply amen. Let's learn about prayer. I want to start with Jesus in Mark chapter 1. And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture that I have leaned on and gleaned from over the years. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I'm going to read this and we'll reflect on it together. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, that's Peter, and his companions, the other disciples, went to look for him. In fact, it, literally in the Greek it says they went to hunt him down. They hunted him down. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I've come. So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So I've taught on this passage several times over the years, and most of the time I've taught about what Jesus did, that he made the effort, he sacrificed sleep, he made the effort to go out and find a place to be alone with the Father, and he did so early in the morning. And I've talked before about what Jesus did, and I think having that time with the Father does require effort. I believe that some of our best times with the Father will be in the morning. Uh, I often say, You need to get to God before the world gets to you. But instead of talking about what Jesus did here, I want to talk today rather about why Jesus did this. Why did Jesus go out and pray? We're not told specifically, but I think we can surmise from the surrounding passage as to why Jesus found it necessary to go out and pray. Because I think we have the same needs, right? And what is prayer? Just turning need Godward. First thing is this, I think Jesus was exhausted. If you read um, right before this in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is in Capernaum, his base for his early ministry. People were coming to him for healing. Not only that, he dealt with a demonic possession. Uh, A couple days ago, I dealt with two very dark people in the course of the day. One was mental illness, the other I wasn't for sure, but it was dark. And I went home that night and I 
kind of shared just the, the broad picture of the day with my wife, and I said, I am spent. So Jesus, dealing with the demonic, we often look at Jesus as, as just God only and not human. He was human too. It sucked all the energy out of him. All the people that were coming to him, they all wanted something. So Jesus was just flat out exhausted, and he needed to spend time with his father. There's a man named Cliff Young. I think you ought to know his name. Australia has an ultra marathon called the Westerfield Marathon. People run from Sydney to Melbourne, Australia, 543 miles. That's the length of the marathon. Well, in 1983, this man named Cliff Young showed up at the starting line, and all these trim ultra athletes were there, and he shows up wearing overalls and gumboots, and they kind of laugh at him. But the race starts, and all the, the high-end athletes, they all leave him in the dust, but slowly but surely, he begins to catch up, and slowly but surely, Cliff Young passes all of them, and he won the race, breaking the previous record by two days. And you know how he won the race? He didn't sleep. His family owns a 2,000-acre sheep ranch, and he is used to spending days at a time up chasing sheep. He just has this preternatural ability to extend himself without sleep, and so he didn't sleep. He ran all of those miles without a wink of sleep. And at the end of the race, he didn't even realize there was a $10,000 prize. He gave the prize to a couple of the other runners and went back to his ranch. And he said, I would rather wear out than rust out. I love that. But we all have our limits, don't we? We can all push it for a while, but we all have our limits. And it's important for you to know what your limits are and then what to do when you get there. When you get to those places of limits, when we reach that place of exhaustion, that's when we need God more than what we need the next breath, the next wink of sleep, the next meal. We need God, right? In fact, I will say this, that if prayer does not rejuvenate you, if prayer does not alleviate your exhaustion, you're doing it wrong. Now, what I mean by that, I'm not trying to put guilt on you, but many times we practice prayer the way we were told, or we practice prayer the way we think prayer is expected to be practiced instead of doing it the way that we're made, we are made to receive energy from God in prayer, and if it's not producing that, we need to rethink everything about what we do in prayer, and we'll explore some of that in this teaching series. So Jesus was exhausted, and he went to God to be replenished. Second reason Jesus went out to pray is the expectations that were put on him. Remember I said in verse 36 that they went out to hunt him down? They said, Jesus, you're a big hit in Capernaum. Why don't you come back here? Let's set up shop. People from all over can come and see what you're going to do in their lives. And Jesus goes, nope. That's not where the Father's leading me. We're not going to stay here in Capernaum. We're going to go out. We're not going to ask people to come to me. We're going to go to them. Jesus defied the expectations of his disciples because he was listening to a different voice. So I think I've told you before that when a zebra is born, the mama zebra will take the baby out away from the herd, and they'll spend several days together, just mother, child, mother, child, mother, child. The reason for that is, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but all zebras kind of look the same. But the face of the mama zebra, every zebra has different markings on the face, and so the mother and child spend time together so that child can imprint on the mother and know its mother's face 
and tell it apart from anywhere. So that when that baby is back in the herd, he'll look at all these zebras that to us look the same. He'll go, not my mom, not my mom, not my mom. That's my mom, right? So why do we pray? We come to prayer as a child with his father. Child and father, child and father, child and father. And then as we move through life, we become so familiar with the way that God works We say, no, that's not where God wants me to go. Not there, not there, not there, there. That's where my Father wants me to go. So I hope you see. Oh, one more thing I want to say about the expectations of others. I'm reading a good book right now by Edwin Freeman called uh, The Failure of Nerve. He says, there are people that are troublemakers in the world, that they, they cause problems. Then there are people who are crazy makers in the world, if they don't cause problems, they are the problems, right? What, what do we tend to do? We tend to let troublemakers and crazy makers define our day. No. Instead of operating on the expectations or the dysfunctions of others, we focus our expectations. What does God expect me to do? And then we do that. So I think that's why Jesus got up early and went out to this dark place by himself because he was exhausted He would have all these expectations put on him. He needed to be refueled, and he needed to define, redefine what his purpose was in the presence of God, and then go about his day. So here's how I want to open this teaching series. I want to start by giving you some things to pray. By the way, if you're with us on Sunday, and and by the way, if you're still watching or listening online, that's all fine and good. It's time to come back to church. It's time to be around people. We need relationships. That's what we're made for. So on Sunday morning, uh, if you're here, We're going to hand out these little crosses, very simple Bethlehem wooden cross, just fits in your palm. I've used these for years. Whenever I go visit somebody in the hospital or someone's on hospice, I'll pray with them using this cross, and I'll leave it there as a symbol of our prayers as a church. I'm going to invite you to take one of these next time you're here on a Sunday morning, hopefully this Sunday. I want to invite you to take one of these, and if you'll notice, there are four directions to the cross. Nothing surprising there. I would invite you to take this cross for the next few weeks. Just keep it in your pocket. Keep it near you. And as you look at the four directions of the cross, to pray four things. Now, there's nothing really insightful. Uh, This is not the best method of prayer that I'm giving you. I'm just giving us a place to start, to pray four things that are questions. Now, the reason I've had these as questions is to drive home the point, too, that prayer is not just about talking. It's about listening. And so to pray these questions and to listen to God. So here are the four questions, and they all kind of follow a very simple pattern. First question is this, God, where do you want me to go? God, where do you want me to go? In the Gospel of Mark, right here where we read here just a few moments ago, nine times, I feel like Ferris Bueller's day off, nine times, nine times in Mark chapter 1, The word immediately is used. Jesus immediately did this, then he immediately did that, then he immediately did this. What happens? His prayer fueled his priorities, and when he knew God wanted him to do something, he did it, right? God, where do you want me to go? He went. Now, let me encourage you not to overthink this. When you start praying, God, where do you want me to go? You don't pull up to the intersection at 41st and Sheridan and go, God, do you want me to turn left or right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about overthinking this. We're not talking about obsession. We're talking about obedience. 
God, I want to obey you today. Where do you want me to go? The next question follows in line with that. As we go, God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to see? This is a prayer I've practiced for years on Sunday morning, and I've started now making it a daily prayer that as I enter my day, God, who do you want me to see? As I see a crowd of people, you know, who, who do you want me to talk to today? Who, who might need a, a word of encouragement or who might need, um, you know, a word of, of just somebody to say hello and thank you and, and to be nice to them? Some people go days without hearing anybody say a kind word. So God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to see? I've been visiting hospitals for almost 30 years now. Had a first time experience just a few weeks ago. I went to go to St. Francis to see somebody. By the time I got there, they'd already left. So I'm walking back to my car, and as I'm walking through the hospital, I pass by one room. I just happen to glance in, and I see a man laying there all by himself. The room is dark, not a flower in the room, and he's just kind of looking sideways like this. As I continued to walk down the hall, I sensed God saying, and I can't tell you how I sensed it, I just did, Darren, go back and talk to him. And I said, God, no. (laughs) I mean, I only go into rooms that I'm invited to go into. That's, that's not my style. Kept walking down the hall. God said, Darren, go back and, and talk to that person. Nope, not going to do it. Third time, Darren, not going to tell you again. And I said, God, I'm not going to tell you again. And I thought, you know what? What am I doing here? So I just turned around. Didn't know what I was going to say when I walked in the room. But I walked in the room and I said, hey, my name's Darren. I'm a pastor at a church here. I was just walking by and I thought I would just stop in and see how you're doing. This person looked up at me. I'll call him Tim. Tim looked up and said, I've been praying all day that somebody would come by and see me. He was wounded in an accident, injured in an accident. He doesn't have any family here. They're all out of state. I said, is there some way we can help you? He said, no, I don't need a thing. I just need somebody to pray for me, and he didn't ask for anything. And so I prayed over him, and walked out of the room. And I don't know what that did for him, but I I sure know what it did for me. I thought, how many other times have I been so busy in my day that I've not asked God, where do you want me to go and who do you want me to see, that I've been more focused on my to-dos than on people? So two very simple questions. Again, it heightens our awareness. It gets our eyes off of ourself. And God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to see? The next question, what do you want me to say? Now, again, we're going to meet people who haven't had an encouraging word in a long, long time. All the world has done is shot at them, and so you're going to give them a word of encouragement. But sometimes we need to give people words of convictions because sometimes people, all they do is they get shot at other people that the world won't shoot straight with them. And maybe we need to share a word of encouragement, but maybe also what we need is just to shoot straight with somebody and give them a very candid word, maybe something no one else will tell them. It means reading the room. It means being sensitive to God's Spirit. It means not saying what I plan to say, but God, what do you want me to say? Some things I've learned about being with people that as I say, you know, God, what do you want me to say? Sometimes God doesn't want me to say anything. He just wants me to listen. Sometimes it's good just to ask a person a question about their life and then just listen, not try to fix it. But by listening, I know how to pray for that person. I've also discovered the power of presence. In a day of constant distraction, 
of many screens, some that we carry with us, to look into somebody's eye, to give someone your full attention is probably the best way to show that you love them. So God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to see? What do you want me to say? Here's the fourth question. God, how do you want me to pray? If prayer is need turned Godward, and as you move through the day, as you see people, as you speak with people, you're going to encounter a bunch of needs. I want to make sure I don't misquote this. Richard Foster has one of the best books I've ever read on prayer. Uh, creatively, it's entitled Prayer. But in his chapter on intercessory prayer, as we pray for other people, he says this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them. And this will lead to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. One of the most powerful ways I've learned to pray for people is just to ask them, what do you want me to pray for for you? Also, anytime we come across a need, it is an opportunity in that moment to pray. I was listening to a news article this morning about you know, conflicts going on within politicians' lives and things that they may have done wrong or not done wrong. What would happen in that moment if we just said, God, I pray for truth to come out? Uh, this is not about politics. This is about truth. I pray that the truth would come out. When you hear about school shootings, to pray over your own children, to pray over your grandchildren, to pray over children who go to school and should come home from school, to use those needs as an opportunity for prayer. So it was in September 1869, there was an enormous solar flare that triggered a brilliant aurora around the world. It was one of the first times scientists began to understand. You've heard of the aurora borealis, uh, that aurora is actually uh, magnetic electric energy from the earth. There, I finally said it. So this solar flare was so powerful that people could see auroras all over the planet. It was reported from the United States to Europe to Japan to Australia. In Boston, in New England, there were two telegraph operators. Of course, telegraph runs by electricity. And so the telegraph operator in Boston was corresponding with the telegraph operator in Portland, Maine. And they began to talk with one another. The one in Boston said, please cut off your battery and let's see if we can't work with the Aurora current alone. Person in Portland, Maine said, I have done so, will you do the same? Boston, I've cut my battery off and I've connected the line to the earth. We are working with the current from the Aurora Borealis alone. How are you receiving my writing? Portland, Maine, very well indeed. Much better than with the batteries on. There is much less variation in the current and the magnets work steadier. Suppose we continue to work until the aurora subsides and not using their own generated power but using the power of the aurora. They communicated for several hours more clearly than they ever have before. Listen, we've been given a current with power that we can come to the eternal God who Jesus taught us to call Father. And our words have power. Our words have purchase. Not only as we speak to God, as we speak to us. He speaks to us. So God, this week, 
just carrying a little reminder with us. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to see? What do you want me to say? And how do you want me to pray? And as we turn our needs Godward, we experience His presence and His power. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.